This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. Open your Bibles, please. Book of Philippians, chapter 1. Hopefully, when you came in today, they gave you a laminated uh, little thing there that says 40 days in Philippians. You're going to want to get that out and have it close. Um, believe it or not, this is the last message in the book of Philippians. Some of you are praying, praise God. I intended for this to be five messages. It ended up being nine. I have loved preaching this series and teaching this series to you. I've learned so much. I was reflecting on it this week. I've learned so much that I did not know about God, about God's Word, and I hope that it's been the same for you. I hope that as we've gone on, I've tried to make this series very life-related. I've tried to keep it very topical uh, in the places where I know that we've lived. We've, we've used our social media. For 40 consecutive days, I posted a two-minute video uh, about the book of Philippians in, in hopes that you would capture some of those and be reminded of something that God was saying to us. And, um, and, and those are still available. You can, you can see those if you haven't had a chance to see those. Uh, we've tried every week to try to challenge you to get closer to God. And I hope that you have. I really do hope that you have. This morning's going to feel different. Um, I decided what I wanted to do is I wanted to just kind of circle back and answer the question, what did we learn? What did we learn from all of these days in Philippians? And I, I'm not going to be able, I mean, I know when some of you look at that list and you're going, oh my God, is he going to preach on every one of those? No, no, I'm not. Uh, there's not enough time. And besides, I, I, I don't know that you'd stay that long. But here's the point. I'm going to hit a few of them. But I wanted you to have those lessons coming out of Philippians in something that you could hold on to and keep and put in a place where you could recall them. Because I think... going to do with that how's it going to change the way that you relate to God the way that you you live with God the relationship you have with God and you say well I, I don't know what what would be the plan well I, I think that there's a couple things you can do one is I, as I encourage you all the time you should write down when you're listening to the teaching and preaching of God's word, whether it's from me or online or from anybody else, any of our staff pastors or any of the others in our church who teach and preach, you should always write down what God impresses you relates to you. Because if you don't write it down, you won't remember it. You won't remember it. Second thing that you can do, and I'm thankful for this because of 
people in our church like Shane Jones and Josh Rios, all of this is recorded. You can go back. There's a podcast that comes up every... In fact, Shane puts the podcast, the audio podcast of every Sunday morning's message up by Monday of every week. You can go back on Monday and you can listen to it again. You can go to the website. You can either listen or watch on the website. You can go to iTunes and you can listen to it. And you should probably do that sometime. Go back and listen. I do that every week and every week even though I preached it. I'm thinking, I didn't know I said that. That's a, that's a pretty good thought right there. I didn't remember saying that. In fact, this week, uh, Shane clipped about two minutes of the video message out, dropped it on Facebook. And it's a powerful reminder that Jesus is enough. So, the point is, is that there are ways that you can go to the next step with what you've learned. And then the third thing is that you should have a plan. You should write out a plan. You should figure out what you're going to do this next week to get closer to God. Because if you don't have a plan, you will not get closer to God. You have to pray. You have to have, you have, to have a plan. You've got to get into His Word. You've got to figure out what you're going to do, what that's going to feel like. And so my hope is that that will occur in your life that you will take seriously that opportunity that you've been given to move closer to the Lord as a result of the Word of God. So let's stand together, if we would, for the reading of God's Word. And again, this is going to look different. When they put it up on the screen, it's going to all be one block, but actually what I want to do is I want to read two verses in chapter 1 and then the last two verses, uh, in last three verses in chapter 4. So we're going to read the first two verses in chapter 1 and then the last three verses in chapter 4. Now, one of the things that you should always know, especially when you're reading in the, in the New Testament, it was customary in Bible times that when you wrote a letter, you write the letter and you start out by saying, this is who the letter's from and this is who the letter's to. Now, in Western culture, we do that at the end. You know, we sign off by saying, all my love, Bill or you know whatever the case may be but in the, in the Bible times so that's why you see a lot of times in the first verse Paul would say what he says right here verse 1 this letter is from Paul and Timothy slaves of Christ Jesus I'm all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus including the elders and deacons May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now look at verse 21 of chapter 4. Paul writes, Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those of Caesar's household. I could preach the rest of the morning about that line right there. And I'll just throw this in. Paul wants to encourage the people so that they will know that people in Caesar's household have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ because Paul has been in prison. So just about the time that you think that your troubles were the worst thing that happened to you, God says, no, it weren't. The worst thing that happened to you got you ready for the best thing that could have happened. 
You thought losing that job was the worst thing. No, God had a better job. See, and that's what he says, especially those in Caesar's household. Verse 23, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Take your hand and put it over your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say right now through me, your servant. And I pray, Lord, that you will help me today. Don't let me say anything that doesn't need to be said, but give me the ability to say everything that you want said. And let there be ears to hear and minds and, and cognitive ability to understand what you're about to say to this church today. And we give you glory for it in Jesus' name. And everybody says, all right, you may be seated. So the letter is personal. Paul wrote a personal letter to the church at Philippi because he wanted to thank them for helping him with the needs that had arisen in his ministry. You, you understand if you read through that there was a point at which Paul had a need and Epaphrodites, his colleague, goes to Philippi, tells the church what the need is. They receive an offering. They send it back with Epaphrodites and Paul writes the letter to say thank you. That's what the letter's about. He didn't write a letter about joy. He didn't write a letter about the, no. He wrote a letter to say thank you, but he decided that in that context, he would make a very personal expression of all the things he wanted to say to these people that he loved so much. Paul loved the people at Philippi. We've talked about this on a couple of different occasions. These people were important to him. You, we went through Acts 16, remember, at the very beginning and talked about Lydia and, and the jailer and, and the little demon-possessed girl and, and the stories of the people that were in Philippi were important to Paul because those people represented his story. And so he writes in a very personal way and he want, it's very clear that he wants these people to thrive in their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. He urges them to grow and succeed and thrive in their relationship because he cares about them. In the same way that I want you to succeed and thrive. My great desire as I pray for you and think about you as these messages are preached is that you will hear what God is saying and you will grow from them. One of the, you know, one of the best things I... Sometimes people say, well, you know, what can I do to encourage my pastor? One of the best things you can do to encourage your pastor is to say, listen, I'm growing because of what I'm hearing you preach. That's what I want. That's what I, what I long for is that you're growing as a believer because of what you are hearing in the word of the Lord. So let's look at all of these. Now, again, I'm not going to talk about all of them. They'll all be on the screen. They're all on that laminate that you have in your hand there. And I'm just going to hit a few of them that I think need just a little bit more that might be important. So let's look at the first one. The first one is everybody needs good friends to do life with. That's one of the lessons that we learn out of the book of Philippians is that everybody needs good friends. He starts in chapter 1 by talking about the relationship that he has with these people. And he says, every time I think about you, I have joy. There's something inside of me that is connected to you. And I need you to know that you bring joy to me because of our friendship and our relationship. And everybody needs that 
Everybody needs somebody in their life, some person in their life, individuals in their life who inspire you to walk closer to God, who encourage you with their life. It's interesting to look the letter and realize that he talks about two people. He talked about Epaphrodites. We said that a moment ago. Notice what he says about Epaphrodites. He says in chapter 2, he says, Meanwhile, I thought to send Epaphrodites back to you. He's a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. He was, your he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. He was very distressed that you heard he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have sorrow after another. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you could not do from far away. That's a friend, isn't it? Someone that would be willing to go to the end. Somebody who will stand by you. And everybody needs friends like that. And everybody needs you. Somebody needs you to be that kind of friend to them. And the letter of Philippians reminds us that everybody needs friends that they can do life with. Number two, everybody needs somebody who prays for them. I love the language in chapter one. I just want to read a couple of the verses to you so that you can hear exactly what Paul is saying. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep growing in knowledge and understanding for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm constantly praying over you, but I'm praying a very specific kind of prayer. Isn't that what he said? He said, I'm praying, number one, that you will figure out what really matters and that your life will be full with the fruit of salvation. Now, the reason that I think that's important, the reason I raise that point is that you need somebody in your life that's praying the really hard prayers over you. You need somebody who's interceding for you every day. You know, I've told you many stories about my mother. She was a prayer warrior and I miss her so bad. There's not a doubt in my mind that almost every day that I was alive on this earth, my mother was praying for me. But I was in Africa in 2006. And I was staying in a hotel in, a, in the city of Mutembo, and I was frightened by the environment where I was. There were soldiers stationed outside my door who were there for my protection. And, and, uh, and I, I just stayed in that room. Basically, if I wasn't teaching or preaching, I was in that room and those soldiers were there. And I was frightened by that environment. There was nobody traveling with me, which was dumb on my part. But I was by myself. I remember one night, way in the night, I'm sitting there, and this bed has a mosquito tent over it, and so I'm under this canopy of a mosquito net, and up there on the wall, I hear a racket, and there's a wolf rat about that big coming down that wall. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, the netting will not prevent that rat from getting over here, and I don't have anything to work with. 
And my God, what am I doing in Africa right now? My cell phone thing. Now remember, in Africa, I'm eight hours ahead of my mother. So it's in the early morning hours in Africa, which means it is nighttime in North Carolina. And the message, I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on, but I'm praying for you right now. And there was a peace that came into me to know that somebody out there is praying for me. You need that. You need that. You need to know that I'm praying for you. That's why sometimes I'll text some of you and just say praying for you today. You need to know that. There's somebody out there that's praying for you. Everybody needs somebody that's praying for them. And, and not only that, you need to be praying for people. You need to have a sensitivity about you that the Holy Spirit can nudge you and you just start praying for Billy Walter right now or, or praying for someone right now. You need that. And can I just say this, a day or so ago when I was kind of wrapping up these thoughts, I was thinking, you know, sometimes if I'm, not, if I'm not careful, I get guilty of praying like this. Billy, I'll be going down the road and I'll just start saying, bless Billy and Heather. Bless Joey and Ashley. You know, and just go bless and bless. And, and I felt convicted the other day that instead of just praying blessing like that, I need to be praying more specifically like Paul prayed. It's just easy sometimes just blow names out there. And I know God knows our hearts and I know God understands, but Paul doesn't do that. He prays, I'm praying this. I'm praying you'll figure out what really matters in the world. I'm praying that you will understand the, the, the things that God is trying to do in you. Somebody needs to be praying that over you. Somebody needs to be praying over you in a way that inspires you that you're not in this by yourself. Here's the third one. God's plans will prevail. The book of Philippians teaches us that. God's plans will prevail. Next slide, guys. God's plans always prevail. Because here's what Paul said. He said, I just want to tell you guys, because you've been my partners in ministry from the beginning, that my imprisonment has worked out pretty well because while I've been in prison, the gospel has been, been preached even to the Praetorian Guard. Now, that wouldn't mean a lot to anybody who didn't understand, but those are, the, those are the inner circle of soldiers around Caesar. As I understand it, Paul's under house arrest. He has been assigned to these soldiers who come and go out of the guard, the Praetorian Guard around Caesar, and they are surrounding him. And what, what is Paul doing? He's seizing the moment. And he's telling these people about Jesus. And some of them are believing in the Lord Jesus. And they're going back to the Praetorian Guard, back to their, their friends there, and they're telling them about Jesus. And Paul says, I just need somebody to know that even though I'm in prison, God's plans are still prevailing and the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth. You know, the devil's so foolish. He's so foolish. He thinks he can stop God's plans. He thinks he can prevent God's plans from taking place. I was reading a while back about uh, in 1949. Some of you were alive back then. In 1949, when General Chiang Kai-shek was, was driven off the mainland of China, Taipei, which is now Hong Kong, and communist Mao Zedong came in with his communist buddies and they set up the communist government there. 
And the first thing that Mao did is he made every family acquire a transistor radio because his plan for communication was that he would teach the communist dogma over the radio to every household. But he had a problem. There were 2,000 different dialects of people, that languages that were spoken throughout mainland China, so he forced every child to learn Mandarin Chinese as the primary national language of China. And he thought what he was doing was preparing to spread communism over that land. What he didn't realize is God was setting him up. Because now with a transistor radio and one language, the gospel of Jesus Christ could be preached in every household in China. I was on Hong Kong a while back and there in that little, that little studio, a little a Chinese preacher is preaching on the radio. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going out. I'm telling you, the plans of God always prevail. And the devil cannot stop God's church. Did you hear me? The devil can't stop what God is trying to do in your life. The devil cannot stop what God has planned for you. And we learned that in the, in the Philippians letter. Here's the next one. We belong to God regardless. Paul reminds us we belong to God. To live is Christ, to die is gain, no matter what happens. What we realize is that because of our relationship to Jesus Christ, our life is now bigger than life or death. Doesn't matter whether we live or die. We belong to God. The next one is this. Humility is the mark of mature Christians. Paul reminds us that if we are believers of the Lord Jesus, we won't be selfish. We won't try to impress others with our own deeds. We will think about others as better than ourselves. We will take an interest in other people. The way that we live reflects our relationship to Jesus Christ. You may remember we talked about this a couple different times. This is the crazy, crazy thing about what God does in us. And that is that people make decisions about Jesus Christ based on what they see in you and me. And Paul said, listen, I want you to do what you do without complaining. I don't want you whining about the suffering you've got. I want you to live godly lives. I want you to be exemplary in a way that reflects the goodness of God in your life. Because people are watching. People are paying attention. You know, I've seen some people at times I wanted to just say, please don't tell them you're a Christian. Please don't tell them you're a Christian because you're going to make my work so much harder. Move on. Worship is not conditioned on the state of our life. I love the language in chapter 3, verse 1. He said, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, good or bad, doesn't make any difference. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Here's the next one. To love, to know Christ is everything. To know Christ is everything. Paul said that. He said, I count everything in this world as loss if I don't know Christ. None of this other stuff matters if I don't know Christ. To know him is everything. If, there, if there's a central theme in chapter 3, it is the fact that knowing Christ is everything. Let's keep going. Later on in chapter 3, he talked about the fact not everybody wants God's will done on earth 
Paul said, there are people out there who hate God and they are doing everything they can to subvert, to persecute, to stop. Not everybody in this world wants God's will done on earth. What does that mean for you and me? Billy Walter, it means you're a missionary. You live in America, but you're a missionary. Sent by God as a missionary to lost people. It means on your job, Channing Hobson, you're a missionary. It means you've been dispatched as a representative of Jesus Christ into a culture and a world that does not know Jesus Christ. You've got to get it out of your head. You don't live in a Christian nation anymore. You don't live in a place where Jesus is celebrated anymore. In fact, if it were possible, there are people that want Jesus stricken from the public dialogue. You're not, you're not in a Christian nation anymore, so you become missionaries. So what does that mean? It means that we now represent Jesus Christ in a culture that does not accept us. And so we have to learn the culture that we are in. We have to learn how to talk again. We have to learn how to communicate with people again. You can't just set up a straw man argument and say people that don't believe in God are stupid. No, I'm going to tell you what. Some of those people that don't believe in God are very intelligent people and you have to learn how to talk to them. Many of them have grown up in cultures different from mine and yours. They have not been exposed to the same preaching and teaching. And it means that we as a church, it means that we as leaders in this church have to rethink the way that we, pro, pro, uh, uh, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot accept any longer that people who hear you understand what you're saying just generally. You have to process it. One young pastor that I know lives in a, predominantly Catholic community. He's talked about all the changes that they've made in their church. And I said, well, how do you come to decide that you need to make that shift? He said, we process everything through what we call Catholic Carl. Would Catholic Carl understand what we're doing? Would he understand what we're saying? Would he be able to connect with what we're doing in worship? And everything goes through that filter because our heart is to win Catholic Carl. Our desire is to win people who do not know Jesus Christ. And as a result, we are missionaries in a lost world. Here's the next one. We have to get along with each other. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I got to get along with you. And I know that chafes some of you. You're thinking, man, I wish I'd have sat in a different place this week. Didn't know that was coming. I, I, didn't, I didn't preach about it. And I got to quickly hurry here, chapter 4. I didn't preach about it, but I'd encourage you to read the first three verses in chapter 4. Paul talked about it. He said, I appeal to Judea and Sinchek. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreements. I ask you, my true partners, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling other the good news. They worked with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. He's not talking about devils. He's talking about church-going folk. We have to 
get along. We have to find agreement. We have a corporate responsibility to look out for our church and for each other. You shouldn't be waiting on somebody to tell you to take care of something. If you see it, help it. Help it. Here's the last couple. True and genuine peace is within our reach. We talked about that a couple of different weeks. Chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Here's another one. Contentment is the result of a faith-filled life. And then we finish with this. And Jerome, come play for me if you would. God's faithfulness is our testimony. It's the faithfulness of God. He says, this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us by Christ Jesus. See, the story of your life and my life is not who we are, but who he is. What he has done. Who he has been to us. See if I can explain this in a way. I've tried to think through this a little bit. You know the Old Testament when they would pray a prayer in the Old Testament, they would pray that prayer something like this. They would start the prayer like this. To the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who brought our fathers forth from the land of bondage to the land that flowed with milk and honey. What they're doing is they are rehearsing the greatness of God. They're approaching God by saying, we know who you are. You're the God that took care of our fathers. You're the God that took care of our fathers and brought us to the place where we now are. And that's our story, is your faithfulness. And so I got to thinking. Here's Don Tyree, turned 85 this week. And... Uh, And I know Don well enough to know he will not be embarrassed if you give him $85 for his birthday. He'll be fine with that. <laughs> but there are people like Vernie Bowman, Dolly Tyree, Charles and Betty Owens, and Helen and Ed Land, Herman and Sue Land, Betty Stinson, and on and on and on the numbers go. So that's how we got here. We got here because God was faithful to that generation. So it's just as, it's just as appropriate for us to say to the God of Bernie Bowman, to the God of Don Tyree, who brought us 60 years to this place. We know who you are. Jerry and Candy Nichols and others. We had an elders meeting a couple weeks ago and I told Don, I said, uh, I'm coming to pick you up. I'm going to drive you to the elders meeting. I don't want you. He's still trying to drive on us and we have to watch him. I said, I'm coming to pick you up. I'm so glad I did. 
We drove to and from. And I got to listen to the story of God's faithfulness. God told me he came from West Virginia. He said, Pastor, I didn't get a lot of formal education. He said, my daddy got injured and I had to stop going to school so I could get a job, take care of our family. And then he choked up a moment. He said, but the Holy Ghost has taught me everything I needed to know to get through. He said, see that house right there that Dolly and I have? We bought that house when we couldn't afford it. But God helped us to get it. He said, I made God a promise. If God would help me, we moved up here to Ohio. My brother-in-law was starting a church, Perry, Ohio. And I said, God, if you'll help me to get a job, I'll never fail one time to pay my tithes and be faithful and do the best I can. All these years. All the years. He was faithful, wasn't he, Don? Faithful. You've been faithful. So to the God of Don Tyree, I just, I just need you to hear me say this. It's been his faithfulness that brought you to where you are. Paul said, I, I'm not afraid to tell you this. You can count on him. He will always take care of you. Let's bow our heads to pray today. Father, it is so obvious to me this morning that we are standing on the shoulders of good and honorable people who walked before you and faithfully served you gave us a legacy of faith that permits us to be in this house today. But at the end of the day, the real story is you, your faithfulness, your absolute forever commitment to love us and provide for us. And I just hope we remember that so that when times get tough and things get sparse and needs arise that we will not forget that it has been our amazing God who has always taken care of us. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.